Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode... In a time of skyrocketing healthcare costs, how can the average person pay for long-term care? Hi, I'm Patrice Sikora, the producer of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, and this topic, it's close to home for me. I am caring for my mother who is 89. She scares my siblings and me every day because her knees are shot. She can barely walk and she's got steps all over the place. And I know I'm not alone. Thousands of our listeners face the same problem, or you will. So grab your friends, your family close to listen and share this podcast with them as we join host Barry Watts on the truth about taxes and retirement. Thank you, Patrice, and welcome to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement, where today we're going to focus on a specific retirement issue that many people face, which is how to pay for long-term care and how to do it in a tax-sensitive way. Now, this topic is near and dear to the hearts of many people. It's affected my family. My father-in-law died of Alzheimer's while in a care facility, and my grandmother died of old age at 94 in a care facility just a couple of years ago. So this topic matters to me, and it's affected you, Patrice, as you said. Indeed, 94. My God, that's great for her, though. Wasn't it, though? So, uh, but what that also means is that her daughter, my mother, is likely to live to 100. There's, there's a significant chance that she may actually outlive me. And so I just think that's interesting when we that's women possible. Do, we women yeah. do rather better, don't we? Well, and she is, she's very healthy. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself in the story already, but we actually did a medical exam on her a few years ago where they essentially score you from um, one, which is Olympic athlete, to 20, which is dead. And, you know, uh, we, we kind of expect people to score, oh, four or five or somewhere in there. And people who aren't very healthy score 10 or 12 or 15. My mom scored a one. And that was a in one. her 70s. <laughs> um, so uh, she, is, she is very fortunate in that way. Now, having said that, less than two years after that particular examination, uh, she had a stroke. Uh, no long-term effects from it, fortunately, at least uh, none that uh, she acknowledges. Sometimes my dad gives her some grief about them. <laughs> but um, uh, anyway, the point is, this is all going, uh, going to face, we're all going to face this. This is going to affect all of us. Um, 100% of us here in the studio, you and me, Patrice, <laughs> have been affected by this. And I, most of the people who are listening to the podcast today will be affected as well. So, in fact, just as soon as I leave the studio, I have a client waiting in the conference room. And guess what? She just last week moved her mother up to the Missouri Ozarks where we live from Florida. So her mother, who's about 90, would be closer to her so mm-hmm. that she could oversee her care. This is by and far the number one concern, sometime unspoken. But it's the number one concern that people bring to my office. And it's such a huge, expensive, unavoidable problem. And people just don't know what to do about it or where to turn to get their answers. And unfortunately, for some people, there isn't an answer. It's just too late. As we say here in the Ozarks, the horse is out of the barn. 
they should have been planning 10 years ago. But for others, there's still time. And that's who we want to help today is people who still have time to think about it and to arrange things, but who don't know how to think about it. We want to help give you a proper framework for this. So, um, Patrice, there's an interesting statistic that's impressive that you might have heard of. Uh, a recent study indicates that one out of every one person's is going to die. Oh, do tell. That is impressive, isn't it? A hundred percent. And the statistics on long-term care are nearly as staggering. Because of everyone who's alive today, 60% of them will need long-term care. And of everyone who reaches the age of 65, 7 out of 10, 70% of those will need long-term care, according to longtermcare.gov. And the average person who goes into long-term care requires that kind of assistance in long-term care services for just a little over four years before they die. All right. What is long-term care? Is it is it a couple of years? Is it many years? Is it what does it provide? Well, uh, essentially, long-term care can either be in your home, or it can be in a facility. In fact, eighty percent of care is actually provided in the home, and only twenty percent is provided through a facility. And that really brings to mind the question. Where would you want to receive your long-term care? And if I think most people would say at home. Yeah. Oh, universally, that's just the answer. Why would I want to go to a facility if I can avoid it? And and now sometimes we can't avoid it. The, the, the labor that's involved is just too heavy. And so there's nothing that we can do uh, other than commit mom or dad or spouse to long-term care facilities. Uh, but we want to keep them as home, at home as long as possible. And we want ourselves to stay at home as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to get into a facility or to get care at home that would be paid for by some of the different mechanisms that we're going to talk about today, uh, you have to qualify. And the way you qualify is when you need help with what are called the activities of daily living. And any two of these activities that you need help with, well, then that typically will trigger and qualify you for long-term care assistance. And a way to think about it is just to go through your day and think about all the things that you do in a day's time. And it starts the minute that you wake up in the morning and you start to get out of bed. Getting out of bed is, for long-term care purposes, called transferring. And so if you need transferring, help getting out of bed, help getting into a chair, help getting onto the toilet, help getting into the shower, those sorts of things, that's called transferring. And so one of the activities of daily living is transferring. What do you do next after you get out of bed? You go to the bathroom. That's toileting. So if you need help using the toilet, or if you're incontinent, then you are hitting on those things that qualify you for long-term care. And you only have to need help with two of these things typically to qualify. Now, after you have gone to bed or gotten up out of bed rather and gone to the bathroom, usually the next thing you do is take a shower. And so there comes the next activity of daily living, bathing. It's one of the key items. Uh, if you need help cleaning yourself, then you're about to qualify for long-term care. And after you bathe, what comes next? Well, dressing, of course. Can you put on your own underwear without falling over? That gets a lot of us. <laughs> what about button your own shirt? Well, if you can't do those things, then those are long-term care issues. And then what's next? Well, we usually go sit down at the table. There was transferring. You notice we go right. We sit down at the table. That could be a transferring issue. Can you even sit down? And then we have breakfast. 
eating is one of the, co- uh, the qualifying issues. Can you feed yourself or does someone have to feed you? So if you have a problem with any of those two of those items, then you qualify typically for long-term care. And in addition, there's one more, cognitive impairment. Like my father-in-law had, and actually my grandmother began to develop in just the last few months of her life. I think if we live long enough, all of us are going to have a few brain cells that don't quite fire as they're supposed to mm-hmm. in the very end. And so cognitive impairment can qualify you as needing long-term care. So, so what's the list? Transferring, continence, toileting, bathing, dressing, eating, and cognition. Those are the kinds of things that qualify you for long-term care. Barry, who determines whether or not you can do these? Oh, very good question. Your physician. So the way it works typically is if your physician signs off and says Patrice needs help uh, with transferring and with bathing and signs a statement to that effect, then boom, you qualify. And that's when your various mechanisms to pay for long-term care will begin to kick in. All right. And who's going to pay for this? You just said there are several mechanisms. Well, that's the the million dollar question. And it really is a million dollar question. So about 70% of long-term care is paid for by the government. About 7% is paid for by long-term care insurance. And that leaves about 23% left. That's what we call private pay out of pocket. People are paying it out of their pocket until the money runs out. And then they go on government welfare called Medicaid. Now, some people think, wait, 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 I'm covered by Medicare and Medicare will pay for it. Nope, that's not what Medicare is. Hmm. Medicare is healthcare that's designed to get you better, to rehabilitate you, to get you back on your feet and sent back home to care for yourself. Medicare will pay for 100 days of skilled care in a facility that is rehabilitative, and that's it. So once you have reached the 100-day mark, if you're not bettering on your own, then there has to be a different mechanism to pay for your care. And if you are trying to use Medicare at home to pay, well, that's not going to work because it has to be in a skilled facility and it has to be provided by a licensed professional, either a registered nurse or a physical therapist or occupational therapist, somebody like that. And your physician has to order it, as I mentioned earlier, in order for Medicare to kick in. Now, now let's talk about somebody who is licensed, they'll come into your home. Yes, you can't have somebody come into your home uh, if you had the physician's order to make that happen. But that's just more difficult to get and to facilitate. And in order for Medicare to pay for it, it has to be in a skilled facility and your home doesn't qualify as that. Okay. Now, the other M word that people are confused about, and I, I even get confused. I think you heard me do that a moment ago um, and use the terms improperly. And everybody who talks about this in my office uses the wrong term. And that is the concept of Medicaid. What is Medicaid? Well, Medicaid is a form of government welfare. That is health care for the poorest in society, people who don't have anything else to depend on. So the question I want to ask you as a healthy person who's worked all your life, supported yourself, you know, paid your own bills, lifted yourself up by your own bootstraps, so to speak, is do you really want to depend on the government in the last few years of your life? No. Now, probably you don't, but most people haven't thought about that. They just think, well, I can get the government to pay for it. That'll be better. Well, let's just talk about that and see what you think, because there are some rules that you have to follow. For example, in order to qualify for Medicaid in Missouri, if you are single, you must have less than $2,000 in assets. And regardless of what state, yeah, no, I mean, a lot of times I've got $2,000 in my pocket. 
unless my wife and kids rated it and I didn't realize <laughs> they'd rated my wallet, you know? Uh, so you have to have a total of less than $2,000 in assets, and that includes your home and all these other things. So just stop and think about it a moment. What the government is saying is, yes, we'll pay for it, but you can't have anything left. You truly have to be totally dependent on the government. Now, if you're married, you can divide your assets in half, and, and then you start spending them down. But your spouse can only keep $128,640. Now, think about your house. What is your house worth? Well, in most cases, it's going to be worth more than $126,000 or $128,000 in this case. Um, so uh, your house alone would disqualify your you from Medicare because your spouse is trying to live in the house. And this is why we hear about people who have lived in a loving relationship for 50 years getting a divorce I've so that they can qualify for Medicaid. Now, Patrice, this is not quite the topic, but I'm going to stop and pontificate for a moment uh, in, in this way. Our government should not have policies that forces people to divorce just so they can have their bills paid. And it's healthcare we're talking about. Exactly. Now, the other half of that is, well, people should have planned and provided for their own health care. Yes, I agree with that as well. But this is just a case where when, when I haven't known anyone who's done this, but I've heard stories of where people who were forced to divorce at the end, that's just ugly. Mm -hmm. And that's not the kind of thing that the government should be standing for. In my opinion, the government should be facilitating strong families. And part of the disintegration that we see in our society today is because the government has not facilitated strong family units. So there's the end of my pontificating, at least for this moment. Now let's go back and talk about Medicaid, okay? <laughs> Here, here's the deal. If you qualify for Medicaid, well, you can get into a facility, but you're going to be in a semi-private room, so you'll have a roommate. And the particular facility that you prefer, you know, the one closest to your home that's nice and new and clean and shiny and so forth, well, it may not have any Medicaid beds available because, you see, each facility only has a certain number of beds that are dedicated to Medicaid patients. So it's possible then that you might wind up going miles away to have to be in the facility and you're no longer close to your family. My wife has a housekeeper whose name is Connie. Connie comes once a week and helps Kelly clean the house. And she's done that for over 20 years, started when our girls were little and Kel was an overwhelmed mother at that moment. Connie's been with us ever since then. Connie's mother has cognitive disabilities and she was recently, hear the words, released from the hospital. But she wasn't in good enough shape that she could go live on her own uh, so she could come home. So they had to put her in a facility. And the only facility they could find was over 100 miles away. And so now Connie can't just drop in and check on her mom. She has to plan a trip, drive two hours one way to see mom. Think about it. Two hours over there, two hours back, and oh, yeah. a couple hours with mom. She it took an entire day just to do what a really 15 minutes might have done if she were able to put her in a facility here locally. So the whole thing about Medicaid is this. It's not what it's cracked up to be. And for people who don't have anything else to lean on, well, thank goodness they do have Medicaid to lean on. And I think it is appropriate at that point in some way our society supports people. But you should be building and designing your life so that you never get to that point, hopefully. Well, now and let me just jump in here, too, because people may not understand the paperwork that goes in to qualifying 
for Medicaid. <laughs> well, well, it's the government. <laughs> well, it's a it's packet, the... <laughs> baby. <laughs> and you've seen that recently, I, I take it. I have done that. Yes. Um, so I, I haven't, fortunately. But I know how much paperwork goes into everything else we do these days <laughs> and uh, how the government always thinks one more form will solve the problem. So, you know, uh, part of the problem is people are not even capable of filling out the form. I mean, I'm a professional form filler outer and it intimidates me. It's like, oh, my goodness. And how do you answer these questions and get them right? And you just have one little line in there that you happen to get wrong, blows up your whole form. Absolutely. And, and they, your case goes in the file over there, never to be processed, and it has to be started over. So you've got Medicare, which really doesn't provide for long-term care. You've got Medicaid, which will provide, but you've got to be flat busted broke. Now, there is a little unique thing for qualifying veterans. And when I say qualifying, I can't tell you off the top of my head what the rules are, but uh, for veterans who I know were discharged honorably and who qualified during certain times, they were in the service during certain times, they can get $27,000 per year if they qualify. So if you happen to be a veteran, that's just a thing to kind of hang on to and be aware of. $27,000 a year won't buy long-term care, but it might pay for a couple of months worth of it. So the other 10 months, you're still going to be on your own. So right now, what many people are feeling, perhaps, is a, a sense of weight. Oh, my goodness, this is going to be hard. And then Patrice brought up the paperwork side of it that's going to make it that much harder. And so because it feels hard and unsolvable, people say, well, there's no solutions or just forget it. I'm going to kick the can down the road. Exactly. Because isn't that what we all have a tendency to do? Yes. But you need to wait and you need to pay attention. You need to listen. Stop. Think for just a moment. Every 40 seconds in the United States, someone has a stroke. One in 10 people over the age of 65 has have Alzheimer's. Hmm. One out of three people over the age of 85 have Alzheimer's. A million people in the U.S. have Parkinson's. 53 million people have or are at high risk of developing osteoporosis. And let's just talk about that saying, women especially, that means you fall, you break a hip, you're in the hospital. That's exactly the point. Osteoporosis, what happens is it affects uh, your mobility, your ability to transfer, because you've broken a bone that you're depending on to help you get up, stand up, move, walk, and do those sorts of things. And all of those cases that we just cited lead to that statistic of 70% of people over 65 needing long-term care at some point during their retirement years. So the question really, Patrice, is this, do you want to bet, do you really want to bet that you'll be in the lucky 30%? I haven't won the lottery yet, so I'm not betting. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> seven out of 10 people listening at the moment, if you happen to be in a crowd, just look around and count them off and you can figure out which ones will uh, uh, have to have long-term care and maybe which ones won't. So, now, you talked about insurance, Barry. You said 7% seven, 7 uh, of LTC is paid for by insurance. How? What is it, the maximum age you can get this insurance? I mean, I'm not thinking they're going to insure you if you're in your 70s. Well, there's technically no maximum age. But there are health qualifications. And uh, most people, by the time they reach 70, have got enough things going on that they trigger the health qualifications and, and therefore don't qualify. But if they do qualify, 
when you buy it at age 70, it's a lot more expensive than if you'd bought it at age 50. But th this is really a red herring. This, this piece of the conversation doesn't matter. And let me tell you why. Long-term care insurance, pure long-term care insurance, which 25 years ago, we were recommending to a lot of our clients was a great idea back then. But what's happened since then is people have started living much longer than the insurance companies were expecting them to. And so they had not built up reserves to pay those long stays in long-term care. And therefore, the insurance companies have had to start either reducing benefits or increasing premiums. So people who still have long-term care policies, when they get their new premium statement for the next year, it'll say, look, you know, you're going to have to pay 25% more, or we're going to reduce your benefits from where they're at today by 25%, let's say. So yeah, how long, how many 25% reductions can you take yeah. until you're done? So, so today I have hardly any clients who still have traditional long-term care policies in place. There are a few, but not very many. So for the most part, you need to get out of your head the idea that you're going to go buy long-term care insurance. Hmm. And the people who have it don't like it. And one of the reasons they don't like it beyond the fact that the premiums are increasing and the benefits are reducing is they don't like it because long-term care insurance was designed to either use it or lose it. So if you paid into it starting at age 50, for all those years, you get to age 80 and you've paid in several thousand dollars every year for 30 years, you get to age 80 and you fall over dead. Guess what happens to all that money that you paid in? The insurance company keeps it. That's exactly right. So it's use it or lose it. And who wants to use it? <laughs> true. My goodness. So, true. so this, this reminds me of that old saying when I was a kid growing up, we used to hear, well, you know, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And, and that's exactly what the case is here with traditional long-term care insurance. So here's where that industry is. Many insurance carriers have actually stopped writing long-term care insurance policies and don't even process it anymore. So that brings us to the question, well, how can I pay for it? Then if I can't buy long-term care insurance and I don't have enough money to just write an indefinite check for about 10,000 a month. And by the way, that's what it was costing three years ago when we had my grandmother in a facility here in the Missouri Ozarks. Um, Congress in 2010 passed a law and the law was called the Pension Protection Act, the Pension Protection Act. And what this law allowed, among other things, is that if you have an existing annuity account or a life insurance contract, you can withdraw cash from that existing annuity or life insurance contract, and you won't owe any taxes when you withdraw the cash. And you can put it over into a long-term care type of policy that will pay out on a tax-free basis, and it will pay for your long-term care. Now, here's an example. Let's pretend a person has $200,000 in an annuity. Uh, or in a life insurance contract. It could be in the bank too, but a lot of times these are insurance to insurance contracts. Mm -hmm. They can convert that into a Pension Protection Act annuity and it will create, that 200,000 will create a $500,000 pool of money that can be used specifically for long-term care. And all of that $500,000 would be tax-free to you. But it's not just any annuity. It has to be a Pension Protection Act qualifying annuity. So, so insurance companies, people. So insurance companies have stopped writing the traditional policies, exactly. but they're still doing these annuities. That's exactly right. 
because the breadth of coverage that the traditional policies uh, were written to cover is is somewhat more limited by, uh, for example, the Pension Protection Act annuity. Uh, a traditional policy might have said, you know, if you're in a nursing home for 20 years, we'll pay for 20 years, whatever it costs. Well, that's what causes insurance companies to go broke. Well, in the Pension Protection Act annuity that I just explained to you, you'll notice they created a pool of money, money, half a million dollars that you could access for long-term care. But once the half million dollars was gone, it was gone. And that's going to take care of most people's long-term care expense. So um, insurance companies are still very much in the game, but they've just had to restructure how they're doing it. And they can't have these open-ended blank check kinds of policies that say, we will just write the check forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Now, there's a second way that you can pay for long-term care, and it's with certain types of life insurance. Here's an example. Let's say Tim is 63 years old and he's married to Patty, who's 61. And let's say they have $200,000 in their IRA account. They can actually transfer that $200,000 over into a policy that has what we call a second to die benefit. This is a life insurance policy. And when we say second to die, here's the key. If one of them dies, nothing happens. Tim and Patty have to both die in order for the death benefit to be triggered to pay out to their kids. That's what a second to die policy is. Or sometimes they're called joint and survivor policies. But this type of policy can have, and the one I'm particularly referring to does have, an attachment to it that is an unlimited long-term care pool. And in that particular situation for a 63-year-old and a 61-year-old, it will pay almost $6,700, that's $6,700 per month, tax-free for either of them as long as it is needed. That sounds almost too good to be true. Well, it's just what's available. But if you don't know it's available, then you can't pursue it. And, you know, if you think it's too good to be true, just realize who has to supervise this. Every state in the union has an insurance department that before an insurance company can offer something up like this, it has to be approved by the state in order for them to uh, offer it to the citizens of that state. So the point is, it's been vetted. And it works. And so for some people, that could be an appropriate tool. Now, I personally use a different tool. You could use the Barry plan if you wanted to. Here's (laughs) what I have. I have long-term care coverage. My wife doesn't. If she needs it, I can provide it for her because I'm the breadwinner in our home. Uh, and, And so I create the resources that would provide for her. But for me, we have something that we've talked about previously on the podcast called a LERP a life insurance retirement plan. It's on my life. And every month I put a, a, what's a huge amount of money, I think, into it. Uh, The way I designed the plan for me, and you design them all individually, you can put as much, as little or as much as you want into them for the most part. But every month I put $4,000 into this LERP. Now that's a lot to put in if all I were getting back out of it were uh, long-term care coverage, but that's actually just a small piece of what I get back. So here's the first thing. If I fall over dead this afternoon, Kelly, my wife, is going to get over a million dollars out of that account that I put money into every month. Uh, And I've not put nearly a million dollars in it. But if I live and live to retirement at age 70, I'll start getting a little over $95,000 a year in tax-free income to live on and enjoy every year of my life until I'm 100 years old and I won't live that long. So notice if I die, Kelly gets paid. Notice if I live, I'll get tax-free income out of it. But if I need long-term care, well, 
it will pay as much as $31,000 per month for me to receive long-term health care. Now, now that is a decent amount. Yeah, that, that, that'll do it. Yeah. That'll do it. You know, right now it's ten, twelve thousand dollars a month for the top care that you can get in Springfield. So thirty-one thousand dollars will take you where you need to go. Now you can't see on the podcast because they're not visual. We'd have to do a what is a video cast, I guess, for you to see it. But if you saw my beautiful wife, uh, she weighs just a little over a hundred pounds. Now, if you saw me, you'd understand why I'm on radio and not on television. <laughs> I weigh two hundred and seventy pounds, soaking wet. Kelly is a nurse and she says, I can direct your care, but I can't lift you. And so this policy will allow me to hire the muscles to lift you and put you where I tell them you need to be. And so that is our plan for how Kelly and I are handling long-term care. And so Patrice, I've got one more story for you. That's kind Mm -hmm. of interesting. My mother and I were talking about this and dad was involved as well. And mom wanted a plan like this. And so we originally were going to take a pool of money and split it between mom and dad, but we ran the health tests that I referred to earlier. And dad scored about a 15 on his health tests, primarily because of diabetes. My mom scored a one, as I told you, she was super healthy, Olympic athlete quality. So we took the entire pool of money and instead of splitting it on mom and dad, uh, because on dad, it was kind of going to be a break even deal. It was going to work, but it wasn't going to be great. We put all the money over to mom. When she was 73 years old, we actually put $500,000 into a policy for her to cover long-term care issues when she was 73 years old. Now, if she never, ever needs the money for long-term care and she lives to be a hundred years old, it's going to pay out $2.1 million in death benefit. Wow. And so that'll be okay. Yeah. But if she needs long-term care, let's say at age 85 or age 90, it'll pay $240,000 per year tax-free for someone to help her deal with transferring and toileting and bathing and dressing and eating, et cetera. And her two sons and her nurse daughter-in-law appreciate the fact that she has a plan to provide for her care. Now you might say, well, what about dad? Who's going to pay for mom's care or who's going to pay for dad's care? Yeah. Dad's got, dad's got mom is the point. True. So, okay. So okay. mom, mom can be the caregiver for dad and, and mom will outlive dad unless something strange occurs. And so, and if that happened, if mom died first, well, then dad's going to have this $2 million pool from the death benefit that he could use to provide for his own care. So you see how we just insured one of them, but we've kind of got them both paid for either way. So here's the thing that you want to be sure you do. You need to hear these stories and hear that there are tools and solutions out here. And you just need to resolve in your mind that you're going to protect your family. Because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. You're walking off into the retirement sunset happily, both of you doing well. And suddenly one of you has an incident, health crisis, that starts the downward spiral. And that spouse has to go into a care facility. And we start writing $10,000 a month checks out of the retirement accounts to pay for that spouse's care. Now, if you're writing $10,000 a month out to pay for care, guess what? You really had to take out about $13,000 a month because you have to pay the taxes on the money before you write the check to the care facility. 
So how many months could you spend that $13,000 a month until you had substantially damaged the family nest egg? So if you're in there for four years, I don't know what 13,000 times 12 times four is. Patrice may do that math for us really quick. It's going a lot to be of money. about 153. And it's going to be about $600,000 roughly. Be interesting to know how close I am on that, but it's about 600,000 bucks. And so imagine if your, your nest egg took a $600,000 hit and then you die. Well, what'd you do? You left your spouse here healthy to live the rest of their life, but now their assets have been severely impacted right? because you spent all those assets on your care. So that's something that you want to avoid if you possibly can. And the way you avoid it is by preparing for long-term care eventualities that 70% of us are going to experience and having a plan in place. So how do we go about strategizing this? How do we qualify for all these strategies you've mentioned? Well, the first thing, Patrice, is this. You can't wait until you need it in order to apply for it and set it up. Uh, you purchase these things with your health. People would think you purchase it with your wealth, and your wealth certainly involved because you have to write a check. But you purchase these with your health, and if you've lost your health, it's too late because there are health qualifications. You know, for example, let's say that you have an osteoporosis diagnosis. And as you mentioned, that affects women more than men for whatever reason that I don't know, at least the reason for that. Um, but if you have an osteoporosis diagnosis uh, from a long-term care perspective, they're going to look at you and say, mm, nope, sorry, we're not going to do that. Because they, they are looking at you and saying, well, that's a guaranteed trip to the nursing home at some point in the future. And even some of these insurance solutions won't cover an osteoporosis diagnosis. What they'll do is they'll say, well, we'll provide you the insurance that we talked about here. And you can take the money out and spend it to live on like Barry's going to. You can take the money out and uh, if you die and the family will be paid. But we're going to strike that line that says we'll cover your long-term care because we see already that you are a guaranteed long-term care case. So you have to purchase it while you still have health that is qualifying. Now, I have had 75-year-old diabetics who qualified. Really? And I, yes, but I've had 50-year-old professionals who take a lot of painkillers just to have a subscription for uh, oxycodone or something like that because they have some significant pain. And what, well, think about how the insurance company looks at that. They say, hmm, you're 50 years old. And, and my response to the insurance company is, well, they're on their feet every day. They're working hard and they're lifting stuff and doing things. And, and the insurance company says, well, at that age, if you're having to take these kind of painkillers on a prolonged basis, that tells us that somewhere in the future, you're not going to be able to transfer. You've got a, a bone and joint kind of issue. So right. we think that's going to be a long-term care case. And insurance companies then back out of what they think is going to be a definite long-term care case. So the solution to all of this <clears throat> is to apply sooner instead of later, well before you're going to need it, and while you still have your health. Because, now, why do you, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, because it's with your health that you qualify. Why is it that people don't, don't understand long-term care? Why, why do we not hear about this when we are in our 40s or our 50s? Well, maybe because they haven't listened to the podcast. <laughs> well so you know who's planning for the future uh, america is the live in the moment uh society uh, take no thought for tomorrow i'm just gonna have the party today and we'll put it on the credit card and we'll pay for it somewhere down the road that's just kind of an american mentality 
uh, previous generations, when you go back three or four generations, people didn't think that way, but they certainly think this that way today. And interestingly enough, three or four generations, there was no long-term care three or four generations back. Because first of all, people didn't live that long. And secondly, if they did live that long, they usually lived uh, next door to the kids or right. out back. You know, I was impressed. We were in Switzerland 25 years ago, and I was impressed. That, uh, we were touring the countryside in a valley there called Emmental. And every farm, which a, a decent sized farm in Switzerland was 30 acres. And, you know, that's like a lot at my in the part of the world where I live. Uh, a decent sized farm might be 3,000 acres. But these guys are all living and farming 30 acres. And they would have a big house barn. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so up overhead is all the hay and storage. And in one end of the first floor are the cows. And in the other end of the first floor is the actual house where the family lives. And that's the way all of these looked. And then out back, there'd be a little tiny house. And the little tiny house was the grandpa house. Aww. And so when the time came for grandpa to retire, grandpa would move out of the big house. He would move to the little house out back. And then the oldest son in the culture where we were at that time would move into the big house and would carry on the farm. And even in our culture, you know, when I was a kid growing up, all the elderly uh, in our community were still there and were still hung around and kind of everybody cared for them and their family cared for them and so forth. But with the advent of the interstate highway system, which started in the Eisenhower administration back in what was that, the 50s, mm -hmm. suddenly people don't stay close to home. People it's travel. In fact, I am going next week to Indianapolis, Indiana to apartment shop with my daughter. Yeah. On Friday, I'll be in St. Louis visiting my daughter. And that's a three hour drive. Indianapolis is an eight hour drive. So the doggone uh, interstate highway system has moved my kids away. <laughs> it, you can blame it on the interstate. Don't worry. You can. Well, we'll listen it to just you. gave the point is it gave them the notion that they could go other places. They yeah. could see other things. And prior to that time, people didn't get out of the little valley where they were born. They just lived there. So people have gone wherever they've gone. They're doing whatever they're doing. There's not the family around them to take care of them. And so that's why you have to start thinking about your own retirement. Now, uh, retirement and healthcare, I should say. Now, when it comes to retirement, people are kind of beginning to be trained on that. You know, most people have got their 401k. They're contributing to their 401k. They're intentionally planning for the future. And most people wouldn't look toward the future of retirement without putting some money away. They want to have a plan. But the truth is, you don't have to have a plan to retire. You could keep working if you wanted. Nobody holds a gun to your head and says you must retire in most cases, unless you're like an airline pilot or something like that. My mother-in-law is 84 and she still goes to work three or four days per week. And I think it's why she lived to 84. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what she lives to do. It keeps her vital. So I think that's a good thing. So we could say that you never have to quit if you don't want to. And so therefore putting money aside for retirement is kind of theoretically optional, but the need for long-term healthcare isn't something that you get to choose. It chooses you. And there's a more than two out of three chance that you're going to get chosen. And if you do, you want to be prepared. And unless you're significantly wealthy, and I'm talking multiple millions of dollars, 
you're going to need to use a strategy like the ones we've talked about here in the podcast today. So my encouragement to you is start now. Prepare for that potentiality in life because it matters. Your health matters. Your family matters. Your spouse's mental health matters. Your spouse's finances after you're gone matters. Don't make them worry about your care or what it's costing. Instead, plan now like long-term care matters to your family because it does. The numbers you have shown underscore that. Well, if you need help with that planning, Patrice, that's one of the things we do at savingyoutaxes.com. Not only do we help business owners and retirees reduce income taxes, but then we show them how to transition into retirement in a way that gives them the highest likelihood of having their retirement income last past their life expectancy. And a part of that is to be sure that long-term care has been provided for and doesn't sink the family ship financially. So reach out to us by going to savingyoutaxes.com and there you'll find a phone number where you can call us and we'll schedule a phone conversation to talk about your situation and to discuss how we can build a bridge across the troubled long-term care water and get you and your family safely to the other side. If you found the podcast today helpful, I hope you'll click share and send the link to your friends who might be interested. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll click subscribe and each episode of the podcast will be automatically fed into your listening device. So the next episode will always be teed up and ready for you to listen. You can find all the episodes of the podcast by going to savingyoutaxes.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, there's a big green button that says, listen to our podcast. And if you click on that button, it'll take you to the podcast page where the entire podcast library is available. Until next time, I'm tax strategist and retirement designer, Barry Watts, for savingyoutaxes.com, reminding you that when it comes to retirement, if you don't get the taxes right, and shall I add long-term care, then nothing else matters. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.